We're uh, continuing our uh, series in Hebrews today. Uh, Everything starts with Jesus. Um, Last week, uh, we said everything starts with Jesus. We kind of explored a little bit about what that meant. Today, it's going to be a a warning and a charge uh, to stick with it. And so let's, let's just jump right into the text and let's read it. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. I think it's probably going to be helpful to kind of work backwards all the way up to the the charge at the beginning. So let's uh, let's 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 do that first. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit we've received. Now I don't know if you're how much you think about this, but one of the questions that comes up over and over and over for Christians throughout the centuries is, how do we know this is true? Like, why do we believe what we believe? I mean, is it for real? And so there's been a whole lot of philosophers and theologians over the years who've tried to answer that question to explain to us why we can be certain. And typically, that comes uh, with a recognition about something about the universe. Like, there are a lot of different arguments about, um, one of the big ones now is the fine-tuning argument. Has anyone heard of this? The fine-tuning argument. It's It's a belief that the universe is so perfectly made that... It, it, in order to support life and, and the universe and the planets and the galaxies and all that, that if, if it were just slightly different, nothing would, would exist. And so that should tell us that there's a creator, a designer. Now, I don't know if that's true. Um, I, I have repented of philosophy. I was a philosophy major, and I thought that, you know, you could figure everything out. And the more I learned, the less I knew. And so I don't do that anymore. But there's a lot of great philosophers. And if that, if that, you know, if that scratches an issue, that's awesome. Like, go for it. I'm not against that at all. Um, but it's interesting that the apologetics in the Bible are different than that. Did you just notice what the author of Hebrews was saying? He's like, how, how do we know that this is true, right? Well, the first thing he said is what? It was, it was confirmed by those who knew the Lord. The author of Hebrews did not know Jesus, but he met people who did. People who lived with Jesus, who walked with him, who witnessed him being crucified, and then coming back to life. And, and the author of Hebrews spoke with those people. And so apologetics in Hebrews, the first thing the Bible does when it's talking about apologetics is eyewitness testimony. Now, this is a very important way that the Bible thinks. In fact, uh, it's not even just the Bible. For the first uh, two centuries after Jesus came, uh, this was a, a very common practice. So if you've heard of Irenaeus, he was a, he was a second century apologist um, who argued for the faith. And one of the things that he would say is people would be like, well, how do you know? How do you know this is real? And, and Irenaeus would say, well, I sat, when I was a young boy, I sat at the feet of Polycarp who was a man who was martyred. And you know something? Polycarp, when he was a young boy, he sat at the feet of who? John the Apostle. I'm John the Apostle's spiritual grandson. 
I know because I've heard reliable testimony from people who, from a guy who went all the way and died for his faith. I know that what John taught was true and that it's been transmitted to me. The second thing, did you notice? Uh, so first it's been confirmed by those who've seen it. And then uh, the author says uh, there's, been, there's been signs and wonders and miracles. Well, we don't typically see those as much anymore. Um, I don't know. I don't know if what your official position is. Some Christians uh, believe that that this is still going on, and so there's lots and lots of different uh, miracles that, that continue to happen. Then others uh, think that maybe it's less. You know, maybe it's still out there, but not as much. And then still others will say, no, it's stopped entirely. Uh, once we have the Bible, we don't need um, signs and wonders. But we can say this: the, the the authors of the Bible they saw these things. They really did. One way that you can know that is if you look at the book of Acts. Acts is written by Luke. Luke, uh, the, uh, he, at certain points in the story, he, he writes from the first person. He doesn't just tell what Paul or Silas, or, he said, we, we did this. He, he had witnessed a man die and come back to life. Uh, and so that's in Acts 20. Um, he, w- Luke was hanging out with Paul and Silas and Paul was preaching late into the night and this guy was listening. He fell asleep. He fell out of a window and he, and he cracked his neck and they all saw him dead. Luke saw him. And then Luke saw Paul pray over him and have this man come back to life. He saw it and he wrote about it. So whatever you think is happening uh, today or not happening today, we can, we can honestly say, look, these guys saw the, the actual stuff take place. And then the last thing the author of Hebrews notes, he says, and we also know because we've seen the gifts of the spirit given, distributed to the people around us. And that's still true today. I mean, I, I don't know if you've really thought or, or thought a lot about what gifts you have or what God has gifted you with, but I can tell you, I see it in you. As I get to know you, I see that you have these remarkable abilities to, to gather people together in peace, to make peace where there's things that are out of whack, to show ridiculous amounts of compassion when they're not deserved. I see your love. I see your joy. And that's not natural. The way that we live in this congregation together is not, it's, it's a miracle. It's only possible because the Holy Spirit has gifted each and every one of us who believes. That's the first thing on your note sheets. We can trust in Jesus' salvation because of the evidence. Christianity is not just a, it's just only faith. I mean, faith is obviously required. No one can prove the existence of God or that you can't do a science experiment to have Jesus come back from the dead. But we do have really good reasons to believe that what we see is real. Now, going back up a little bit in the text. For, the, for since the message spoken through angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And that might sound a little weird. The author of Hebrews is Jewish. And he's writing the book of Hebrews to other Jewish people to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus came um, and everything starts with Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. 
So when he says the message spoken through the angels, he's actually talking about what we think of as the Pentateuch or the law in the Old Testament. Okay, uh, so he, he's telling these other Jew, Jewish people who know who know the, the, the law, they're very familiar with the law, and they recognize that throughout the law, God's holiness and perfection is on display because every violation uh, and every disobedience has a consequence, a just punishment. And then the author of Hebrews says this, he's, he's like, okay, if, if that right there is real, and if Jesus is real, then how much bigger, how much more wild, how much more beautiful, how much more loving and exciting is the salvation we have in him now? And if that's the case, then shouldn't we be telling people? Shouldn't we be doing what the author of Hebrews is doing when he's like, look how amazing this salvation is. The salvation, not just from sin and death, but the big D death, the death of the soul. Eternal separation from God. It's all been solved in Jesus. Alice, my daughter, she, um, she watches a, a YouTube, um, a YouTuber who's like a, an evangelist. She's, uh, I think she's like 16, 17 years old, and she makes these videos, um, just preaching the gospel, like trying to share Jesus with people. And in one of her videos, uh, she talks about, she talks about, uh, how people are so, like, very, like, uncomfortable talking about religion with each other, which is, I think most of us kind of feel that way, like, you probably don't go up to the people at work and be like, hey, I love Jesus, do you? It's probably not something that happens. So she told a, uh, she told a story in this video that Alice told me. And it's about two, uh, two girls are at home. Um, one, one is a friend that uh, is over at her friend's house. And they're doing homework together after school. And they're bored. And so the, the girl whose house it is, she, she says, I need some fresh air. So she, she, uh, Marilyn, next slide. So she, you know, walks outside and then right there in, right in the front of the yard, she sees a snake. And she's like, ah! And so she runs back inside. And she starts doing her homework again. A few minutes later, her friend is like, I'm bored. I really need some fresh air. Like, okay. So she walks outside, and the snake bites her. She screams. She runs back in. She's like, why didn't you tell me about the snake? And the first girl says, well, you didn't ask. And that, in a nutshell, is kind of how we approach telling about Jesus to people, right? We're like, well, hopefully if I get to know you well enough, at some point you'll be interested in me enough to be like, what do you do on Sundays? I'm like, I go to church. I believe in Jesus. And in my experience, that never happens. <laughs> and if what we believe is true, if there is genuine eternal separation from God, well, it, what we're acting like, we're acting like we've seen the snake and we're just pretending we didn't. We don't say a word about it. If we really believe that there's judgment, that there's punishment, that sin has real consequences in this life and the next, if we believe that and we're not telling people, we're inviting them to walk out and get bit.
This salvation is huge, the author of Hebrews says. Why are we being quiet about it? It's the next thing in your note sheets. The news is really good. Share it. So here, okay, just a, a couple of things. A couple of questions, some ideas about this. First, how big do you think God's salvation is? I mean, is it, I mean, how big is it? How much, how much has God done? I mean, is it really like the, is it truly the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world? Is it truly the inflection point on which all of history turns? Is the coming of Jesus the most wonderful and majestic and glorious thing that's ever happened in human history? Because if so, we should be kind of excited about that. Here's a question. When was the last time you shared about this salvation with anybody? Now maybe it's because you're, you know, you're, how do you start that conversation? Like, there's the classic, like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? That's a classic. Um, that can be a little bit intimidating for some people. Maybe we just don't know how to start the conversation. Well, here, here's, here's, my, here's my recommendation. All right. You're hanging out, you're at work, whatever, you're with your neighbor, and you get to talking about the weekend, and you're like, hey, here's number three. I'm going to church on Sunday. Our church is awesome. It's a beautiful place with incredible people who love God. Why don't you come? You should come with me. You, you, you might really like it. Yeah, the sermons are boring and the leader guy doesn't seem to know what he's talking about, but everybody else is awesome. And maybe, because here's the deal, the worst thing that can happen to you is they go, no. That's it. They're probably not going to resort to violence because you've asked them to go to church. That's probably not going to happen. They're probably just going to be like, I'm going fishing, or I'm watching football. Or maybe they might say, okay. Back to the text. We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Uh, the, the Greek here is it's really it's beautiful. It's elegant Greek. Uh, the author of Hebrews is a, obviously very learned. Um, and where it says, uh, pay the most careful attention, it really is. It's a phrase. It's like, it's like um, you, we must be devoted to what we've heard. Like, we have to be super focused on it. Because if we don't, then we might drift away. Any uh, country music fans here? Uh-huh. Yeah, y'all are trying to get me to listen to that country music. I lived in the South for four years, and I came back hating country music more than when I started. One, uh, one time, Aaron, my wife, she, she tried to get me into country music early on in the relationship. And that failed miserably. Uh, so now we, we're either listening to what I want to listen to or what she wants to listen to, and, but country is not a part of it. However, some years back, I do recall, I don't remember where we were or what, why there was country music playing, but it was there. And I heard what must be the most ridiculous song ever written by a human being. 
Um, and I didn't know at the time, but, but Aaron told me. The guy's name, uh, next slide. The guy's name is Kenny Chesney. Have you heard of this guy? Okay. And his song is called Boats. And the song is about boats. The chorus to the song goes, Boats. Vessels of freedom. Harbors of healing. Boats. I was like, I, I looked at Aaron, I was like, I can't believe, so the, the, the premise of the song is that there's these two guys and they lost their wives. And so what they do is they go and they, on their boat all day and they drift around on the boat and this is somehow heals them because boats are great, I guess. And boats are pretty cool. I'm not against boats. I like cruise ships. I like yachts. Um, and uh, yeah, drifting sounds pretty good, but that's because I'm living in the 21st century. And if you lived in the ancient world, boats were horrible. Um, if you're familiar with, if you're familiar with, with the Bible, just think about every time there's a story or a narrative that involves a boat or water, what's always going to happen? Someone's almost going to die. You know, Jonah or Peter or whomever. There's tons of stories. And every single, not every single, almost every single one of them, the boat is, is dangerous. Why? In the ancient world, people didn't know how to swim. Very few people knew how to swim. Even sailors didn't know how to swim very often. Um, and not only that, they didn't have the technology that we have to make boats that are basically unsinkable. Even now we sit, we hear, you know, terrible stories of like the perfect storm or whatever. And that's pretty frightening. It was like 10,000 times more frightening back in the ancient world. And so when we hear drift away, that kind of sounds like harbors of healing. That's not what drift away meant in the ancient world. Drift off means you're gonna die. And so when the author uses that language of being devoted, like paying super careful attention, what he's thinking about is the same way that sailors are like making super careful attention to the rudder so that nothing goes wrong, or the sails, or the oars, or whatever. Constant devotion, because the second you take your eyes off the prize, you are in danger of death. And so the author is like, stick with it. Don't stop. I'm giving you a warning. If you take your eyes off the rudder, you could die. But what is he telling us to take our eyes? What was he saying to focus on? Did you notice that in the text? What he's saying is focus on what you've heard. The message of the gospel. The message about Jesus. Everything there is to know about Jesus. Keep your eyes on that. Go back to it over and over and over again. Think about the salvation that Jesus has provided us. Think about what he did, how he lived, how he died, how he was raised. Think about what he said and taught. Keep going back over and over and over. Uh, by, by nature and by training, I'm an academic. Um, I love I love research which I know weirds most people out. That's okay. But one of the this is really hard for me because academics what we what we're trained to do is find something new. Right? Discover some new thing, some new nugget of of information that no one's heard before. Find something fresh. This is why academics should not be trusted to handle anything. Because you don't want like someone your engineer to be like, "Let's try it a different way." 
Let's do that. That's what happened to that submarine. You guys heard about that one going down to the Titanic. They tried, they went away from like the tried and true, tested, worked out, understood basic stuff. And they, they went to something new and people died. Yesterday I, uh, I watched Underrated. Have you heard about this? It's a, it's a documentary about the, um, the coming of age of Steph Curry of the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit that during, while watching this, I'm crying. I kid you not. Olivia, my nine-year-old, she comes in, she's like, Daddy, why are you crying? Well, let me tell you, okay, I'm, there's a little bit of bad language at the beginning, but other than that, it's very wholesome. But, um, Steph Curry went to Davidson College. Davidson College is unknown. Nobody's ever heard of it. Um, It's my alma mater. And I can tell you honestly, every person who goes to Davidson, well, not everyone, but almost every single one of us, we love that school because some of the best days of our lives were spent there. And it's a, we're all, we're all bums that, that nobody else knows about Davidson College. And so when Steph Curry came out of Davidson College and then entered the, he took, took us to the Elite Eight in the NCAA tournament and then became like, uh, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, it, it, it is the most amazing thing ever for us. We, we, we just, it's hard to describe. And so when I was watching back to the 2008 tournament where he's just tearing it up and the team is blowing up and they're doing amazing things, I, I just, I lost it. I, it was like nostalgia, like I couldn't, I couldn't believe. And I was like, Olivia, you know, it's going to be a little tough for you to understand that. Um, but watching this, it felt like going home after a really long time. I bring this up because um, they, they, during the documentary, they, they don't make a too big a deal about it, but they do show over and over clips of Steph working out, working at uh, like building muscle, working on his skills. There's parts where he's like dribbling a basketball with two hands, and then he's like in between like hitting stuff with a tennis ball. And it's incredible stuff, like mind blowing. Shows him working out, and then what they do is they splice that in with him doing exactly the same stuff. 15 years ago as a, as a little, as a kid at Davidson. And it's, it's wild to, to reckon, to realize that, that Steph Curry, because of his absolute pursuit of perfection, he goes back to the same stuff, the same routines over and over and over again to make sure that he doesn't lose any of his edge. He stays with these, these, these skills with the strength workouts and, and he's been doing it his entire life now. Why? Because it works. And because he wants to win. There's a lot of players who don't age well or they, they lose their competitive. And so they stop putting the time and the effort in. They don't go back over and over and over to the basics. The author of Hebrews says, if you want to win... If you want to know, to, to stay safe, if you don't want to avoid drifting off and dying, if you want to stay with the salvation of Christ, you have to make it your mission to focus on the message all the time. 
Devote yourself to it. Devote yourself to it. It, Sometimes you're afraid it's getting boring. If it's getting boring, you're not thinking through what you're you're actually meditating on. Because it can never be boring to know that the Son of God came to earth. The second person of the Trinity came and liberated us and gave us life. That will never, ever, ever get old. Because it is the greatest news that all of humanity has ever heard. It's the last thing in your note sheets. Stick with Jesus or you'll drift off. And unlike Kenny Chesney, that kind of drifting off leads to disaster. And so I just want to leave you with just three kind of basic things that we can do in order to stick with Jesus. Um, And the first one is meditate on the message. Sometimes when we hear the word meditate, we we get the sense of like, um, emptying yourself, all that. That's, That's not what meditating is. Meditating is sitting with the message. Sitting with it. And maybe that means for you like a daily devotion, something like that. Um, Maybe that means spending time reading the Gospels. I'm not sure what it's going to be for everybody. But but on a regular basis, make a practice of, of focusing deeply on the gift of God in Jesus Christ. You don't have to make a, a law out of it. It doesn't have to become some, oh, I meditated on the message, so I'm a good Christian. No. Just, just think about it because you don't want to drift off. You want to stay with Jesus, and so you've got to keep him in mind. The second thing. Fellowship. So that, that's the Christian term for spending time with other people who believe in Jesus. Um, like I said, you know, we got a bunch of people from our church right now uh, beach camping for a week at San, San Alejo. And it bums me out on the one hand because it's like, I like having them here. But on the other hand, I know that what takes place during this trip is they're going to spend time with each other. They're going to be around the campfire at night. And they're going to be speaking about their lives. They're going to be sharing where they're at. And they're going to be talking Jesus to each other. And that is going to, like, some of them, some of them haven't been meditating, right? They haven't been meditating on the message. They're, they're in danger of drifting away, but they're going to get pulled back because they're with the right people. I tell Alice, you'll become who your friends are. Well, the same is true of us now. We got to spend time with each other. We got to enjoy each other's company. We got to get deep with each other. Because when we do that, we start speaking Jesus. And the last one <laughs> for our culture, keep going to church. I don't know how many people I know who are like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, I don't need that church. You don't know. You just don't. You don't know what, um, what changes in your heart or what changes in your kids when they, when they don't see you making that commitment to prioritizing the worship of the king. If you think that the reason that you're here is to, you know, hear like an inspiring 
message from me, learn a little bit about the Greek behind whatever. If you think that's why you're here, that's not. What we're here for is to worship God together. It's to sing. It's to meditate on his truth. It is to glorify him, putting him first, even during football season. It's easier for us on the West Coast, you know, because the game's... Stick with it. I know it gets hard. Believe me. It's not easy for me either. But stick with it. Because if you don't, you can drift off. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for such a great salvation. We thank you that in Jesus you've revealed yourself completely and wholly. You've shown yourself to be a loving and merciful God, gracious in all that you do. You've shown us in Jesus' life how we're to live. You showed us in his death how to suffer. You've shown us in his resurrection our future hope. God, may we be evangelists. May we get out there and invite people over and over to come be with us, to come worship you, to come show our, our love and respect and, and, and just sit underneath your majesty and your glory together. May we never, ever, ever stop devoting ourselves to the message of the gospel. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.